Welcome to As You Were, a podcast about Alkaline Trio, where every week we talk about one Alkaline Trio song. And this week, it's in my stomach. Uh, you, you having you need some Pepto? You having some troubles over there, friend? Oh, that's the thing about being in my stomach is that there's a lot of extra room in there because I got so much pulled out of me. I was gonna say, I mean, really, this song is you know, it's it's your life story <laughs> for real, drying out and then being like, oh, there's something in my stomach, even after the fact, it works. In so many ways, she moves in mysterious ways. As ah, yes. you were a podcast about Alkaline Trio. Every week we talk about one Alkaline Trio song. His name is David Anthony. My name is Tim Crisp. And we are the two friends. And we're here to talk about a song that, boy, oh boy, David Anthony. Tim Crisp. I heard this song for the first time today love when that happens and i've been thinking about it all day in that like kind of in the same way as like when you see a movie that like fucks you up Mm -hmm. so it's been a weird one over here you're welcome (laughs) um i mean we're gonna have to get there anyway uh sidebar uh, best member of U2 is clearly Larry Mullen Jr. Um, but back, Absolutely. back to the matter at hand. Um, actually, second sidebar. Uh, have you seen the uh, East Bay Punk documentary, Turn It Around? I have not. It's fantastic. It's great. We watched it probably a month ago. There's a great story. There's this band um, who are, I believe, on alternative tentacles called the Beat Nigs, mm-hmm. um, who are like an industrial band mm-hmm. and you two took them on tour and the singer tells the story he's like yeah bono had to come up to me and be like hey 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 mate uh his name is edge not ed and he's like because i was just walking around backstage like hey cool guitar ed nice hat ed um <laughs> and now i just think of that all the time and it's so fucking funny to me um so there's your there's your uh moment of levity at the top of this podcast. Oh my god. Yeah, we had a good we had some good U2 talk before we dove in on what what is going to end up just being a little bit of a heavy episode, but let's before we get into the song itself, David, where can I find this song? Why can't I find this song on well, my streaming service? Great question, my friend. Um, this song sort of comes from a record called Agony and Irony, which, as you may remember, as a devoted listener of this podcast, that that is the Alkaline Trio's major label, lone major label record for Epic Records. Um, if you were a nerd like me, when the record came out, you pre-ordered the LP and the deluxe edition CD. Um, <laughs> the start of a very... I mean, it's set an awful precedent that has been followed endlessly to now. I will follow. Um, what I will say, 
this still oxidation was a little nicer. It had a nice book, like a lot of photos of stuff. But there's a handful of songs on it. One of which we talked about before, Burned is the House, mm. a song I really like. Mm-hmm. Really fun. Handful of acoustic tracks. And this song, In My Stomach, which is the first song on the deluxe edition. Um, but unless you have that, or I believe uh, a label did basically a vinyl repress double disc thing of the deluxe edition in like 2013, 2014. Mm-hmm. Unless you own one of those, you've kind of got to go to YouTube to hear this because it's not up on streaming, which is unfortunate. Um, and I mean, the uploads on YouTube are like 11 years old. Uh, yeah. so not a lot of action on this one. And also I did a little bit of, a little bit of digging and again, it's imperfect, but I could find no, um, shows where they ever played this song live, which is probably not surprising to anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's kind of a lost track for a couple of reasons. I mean, I know that when Dan tours solo with the emergency room, um, his solo vehicle, he'll play Burned as the House. Like, he'll pop that into sets because it's a fun song and it's not one that Alkaline Trio normally plays. I couldn't find any videos of him playing this song. Yeah. Uh, it's like really kind of in its own lane and not just from a like, okay, where do I hear it? How do I find it standpoint? But also sonically, it is maybe one of the most singular Alkaline Trio songs in their discography. I think that the only thing that you could compare it to is the Halloween cover. Yeah, that's about as close as it gets. I mean, I said to you in pre-pro, and we'll say it now, that I could see this song, especially production-wise, being the jumping-off point or the germ of the idea that leads to Damnesia. Mm-hmm. The problem with that is that this song lends itself to that and not a song like Clavicle being redone. Kind of two different things. Um, And, you know, the Halloween cover is a good comp because it's very, they're very sparse for a lot of it. Mm -hmm. They have a really big build. Um, But this is a song that for me, from the first fucking time I heard it, when I got that deluxe edition... My question was, how on earth was this not the closing track to Agony and Irony? And I maintain that viewpoint, what, 14, 15 years later, whatever it is, mm-hmm. that <laughs> what a colossal waste of a track. Absolutely. Um, I was just looking up to look at the end of V2. Uh, it was folded, and then I think the back catalog is bought by universal mm-hmm. bmg and if you listen to better yet you know that those are my fucking enemies over there so they're not doing anything for the people such as releasing this track or allowing it to be utilized or just put on spotify so people can listen to it those motherfuckers took me down from spotify anyway um yeah this is a song that is really one of the the few like lost relics for this band who is you know for all of the songs that are out there they've done quite a good job of making sure that they get collected and placed somewhere Mm -hmm. for people to find um and maybe it's a little bit fitting because when you hear this song 
like you said, it just completely takes you somewhere else. The way that that guitar sounds is insane. Yeah, I mean, every time I listen to this song, it just really grabs you right away. At least it does for me. Like, I feel like this song really pulls me in right away because it's, I mean, it's very haunting is the word I would use. Mm. The only thing I can really compare this to, which is not Alkaline Trio material, but it feels to me like the last decade of like Nick Cave songs Mm. is what I hear in this. Mm -hmm. I hear that kind of sparseness. And I think that guitar part is so unique to me. And the way Dan sings over it at first is very matching it. And then he kind of starts branching off and using it as a way to just kind of like really put on, in my opinion, what I think is one of his best vocal performances on record by the end of this thing. Yeah. It's fantastic. Um, So it's, it's, it's a wild one because I'm just like, you know, it it starts in that way where, like, this band has a handful, by this point, of acoustic songs. That was not something that felt super far afield. Mm-hmm. But this doesn't feel like that either. No. Um, it's dialed in and, like, it's mic'd in such a way that, like, you get a lot of pickup of just the scraping of the fingers on the fretboard and on the strings. Um, and there's just such a heavy reverb on the strings too that it really just it sounds like an old guitar recorded with a very old microphone in it in probably a haunted house um (laughs) yeah you know etc 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 but it doesn't feel campy it doesn't feel like one would expect an alkaline trio (laughs) attempt at doing this sounds like i think it sounds super tasteful Uh, that's the thing is like you know i this is one of those songs that like it's become abundantly clear if you're a listener to this podcast that like i really stump for the deluxe edition material on you know this record and the two that follow because i do think this record established a precedent where like the stuff I like almost the best is on those. And in this specific instance, this is a song that like I know a lot of like big fans of this band love, but I also know a lot of people who have heard basically everything else who have never heard it. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting because like I'm always curious how it's going to hit people because I still think it's great and I still think it sounds so much better than a lot of the stuff on Agony and Irony. Yeah. Like, I think every decision made on this track, very purposeful, very tasteful, to your point, but just also, like, this is what I want out of a big-budget Alkaline Trio record. Mm-hmm. Is like, I'm cool with Help Me and whatever. Like, do the big radio rock songs. But I kind of wish the record was, like, half that or, like, three-quarters that and then, like, three or four songs kind of like this. Yeah. That would have been cool. Um, instead, there's one song. Right. Because it feels like, it feels a little bit spontaneous. It feels like, well, I got this thing, um, not really sure what we would do with it, and let's lay it down. And, like, 
the band does come in, but it's not like it comes in for, you know, a huge, like, rock moment. I don't think any other, like, guitars come in. He never plays chords. It's only no. arpeggiated. Um, And I think that there, it's, it's a wild uh, loop to thread when you can make something that is, like, purposefully supposed to sound like it comes from a different time Mm -hmm. and it doesn't end up sounding like someone trying to make something that comes from a different time but in that specific time yeah i mean i think it's they really thread a needle on this track and especially with like the kind of orchestration on the tail end of it Mm -hmm. i've always been like where was this on the album um, you know, there's just, it, it, there's so many moments like this with this song for me where I'm just like really struck by like, I mean, like you said, it's all basically arpeggiated guitar stuff, which is very atypical. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's just a lot of really simple moments. And I think like the way it builds is really nice. And I think, you know, when I was, when I was dissecting the song itself, it has a chorus, mm-hmm. but it feels very linear to me because of that just constant arpeggiated guitar you're not really getting the feel that anything has changed it just kind of elevates and decreases and then really elevates right which works really well with what i think are some incredibly great dan lyrics throughout the song i think Mm -hmm. there are a couple lines in the song i have always loved and revisiting the song over the past few days I'm just struck by like how he delivers them and does he's never too clever even when he like drops that James the first like reference mm-hmm. about colonizing America um which is a move yeah. a very atypical damn move um but it's just so effective it's it's one of those that like I'm just, I'm kind of, I've always kind of been a little in awe of this song because I'm like, this is the one more than almost anything where I'm like, I wish I could have been a fly in the wall to see how this came together mm-hmm. because there's a lot of work went into it. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the James the first reference because it's so fucking funny. Um <laughs> Because, yeah, we, James I, King of Scotland, who eventually became the King of England, 1603 to 1625. Y'all remember your history lessons. Jamestown was uh, founded in 1621, I think. That sounds right. Um, James Mm -hmm. Town. Y'all, you following? Um, But... I also like did a little bit of digging just to see because it it doesn't it I wasn't content even with that I wasn't content with mm-hmm. just I wanted to explore the angles um the gunpowder plot for which Guy Fox w- was famous mm-hmm. was an assassination attempt on King James now V for D- Vendetta big at the time possibly True. That movie, that movie's bad, right? I saw it in the theater. I never wanted to see it again. I assume it's I bad. I saw the movie once. I like the uh, the 
comic, the original graphic novel, which is how I first consumed it. Um, but I, this also that gets into the thing. I don't think there's been a solid Adam uh, Alan Moore adaptation. So. That's very true. As you were podcast at gmail dot com. Tell me if V for Vendetta is actually good. You're probably wrong, though. Um, also, James published uh, a lot of writing in his time, including like a very large treatise called Demonology that was mm. all about necromancy and ancient black magic and kind of turned into like what would become like the new era for identifying witches. Interesting. So that all follows. I mean, black magic and the occult kind of always has like big points of fluctuation. Mm-hmm. It's not to say that he started it, but it was definitely part of it. Um, but that book in particular, huge influence on Shakespeare and Macbeth. And I would venture to guess puts him on the path to Midsummer Night's Dream and all of his like weird shit. But and and also a fun James the first fact is he wrote the song Black Magic Woman, um, which not many people know, but if you listen closely, um you hear a little ye black magic woman in there. But Yeah, actually that there was um there was a picture inside of demonology and it was of a witch and he just wrote she moves in mysterious ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is also true. This is also factual. Um, so, yeah, interesting reference overall that is kind of just thrown in there. Mm-hmm. This isn't like the Matt Skiba school of referencing where this is what the song is about. Yeah. This is a very different uh, take, which is why I like it. It's very subtle, and mm. it requires a little bit of like, what does he mean by that? To yeah. get there, which I enjoy. Um, for the rest of this, and if you listen to the show, you've heard me talk about this before, but it's worth saying again. Recovering alcoholic, uh, coming up on seven years sober. Um, I I can only scratch the surface with this; otherwise, it's going to become. Like an like a meeting that nobody thought that sure. they were coming to. This description, the idea of something living inside of you, is absolutely spot on perfect. I can't think of too many people who have used the black mold. Uh, metaphor usually find like a demon um Mm. but black mold yeah yeah uh fucking perfect yeah i mean i think that's the thing is like i find that reference and that imagery to be so tasteful Mm -hmm. too because I think what makes the song hit for certain people is whether it's alcoholism or depression or whatever, whatever you struggle with. Like, I think it's pretty easy to resonate with what he's getting at here. Mm-hmm. But I think this all can read. So I don't want to say comparatively minor, but just someone who is doesn't struggle with certain things, they can just kind of brush the song off. 
is what I've kind of always felt mm-hmm. is that the people I know who this really resonates with understand that like this feels to me like one of the most glaringly transparent Dan songs that is in the entire canon. This feels mm. very, very, very laying his soul bare, not singing about just like really investigating how he feels about him and how he lives. And it's fucking, you know, that's a ride for anybody. And those types of things can be done in ways that don't resonate just because someone is making that gesture does not necessarily mean that it the art connects and this is one of the times where i'm like you know he he's really laying it out there but he's also really knocking it out of the park like this is a big 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 move and there's just like very little when i tried to put the song under a microscope that there that i didn't like it was very hard like there were a couple things that i could maybe id but i also think they serve a purpose and you know when I'm looking at art that way, that's always the most fun where it's like, yeah, I, th- this, this needs to be here to do what it's doing. And that's why I think like this song having this kind of linear structure also feels like an interesting pathway through this topic. Dude, absolutely. And like you made a point earlier about the way the parts just like kind of mesh into each other. And I think that the, you know, it starts in it starts in E, and it's a walk down from E. But the what feels like the chorus part is just a walk down from C. So it's mm-hmm. like, and it and and he doesn't. It's every half step, like he's playing. So he's hitting notes that are not necessarily in the key, but they're referenced by the note that was played before them. So just that like slow crawl. Um, it, re- it, it really does like create that, not only that linear structure, but also just like this descent into, I mean, to read this at face value, someone who's drying out and someone who is about to go through fucking hell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, it's that descent, and then the moment the drums kick in, it's like very, very tasteful performance mm-hmm. out of Derek here. Um, exceptionally good. And the way it builds around it, and it kind of does some really cool things, I would say, from about the minute and a half, two-minute mark onward. Mm-hmm. Um, in I, I wouldn't call it necessarily a chorus or a bridge, but there's two parts that feel kind of like that. And you think you're going to come back down, and then they just fucking push it even harder. And they, like, make it even bigger. And that, when I said earlier that I think it's one of my favorite Dan vocal performance, it's around the, like, 240 mark in the song where I'm like, whoo, this is a performance, my friend. Yeah. This is, like, this is the type of shit that, like, you can really do, spend the time on, do the work on, and get there when you have that major label time and budget and attention. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad it... I'm I'm glad... 
uh, if nothing else for that whole experiment that it allowed one of these to slip through, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think too, that like, you know, I think just with the, with like the, the imagery of the dead bolted doors and the, the mold, like it reminds me a lot of the, scene in train spotting when he's kicking Mm -hmm. um i'm sure everybody who's seen it remembers the baby but you know that is so you know skittish and uh and jarring this is just the opposite of that it's slow Mm. it's what it's like to count the minutes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, and again, like what you were saying about just kind of the uncomfortableness, both of that and, and the kind of chord progression of it is it is kind of an uncomfortable listen. Like it's, it's why I was saying like, you really have to want to meet the song where it is. You kind of can't, you can't come into this expecting, what alkaline trio does which i'm sure is why it didn't make the record you know i'm sure they were like this is probably going to alienate our fan base more than they're already going to be alienated by this record um but i think that was the wrong decision i think that this is uh this is a label call they're like this no don't put this on this doesn't fit yeah I, i mean it doesn't fit yeah to be fair like you know it doesn't really fit what is happening on the record, but I I think that album, when I really think about it, I'm like, they have the opener, but it's pretty locked in and obvious what that is, and it's what's mm-hmm. on the record. And to me, it just feels like this was intended to be the closer, and I don't know if you've heard the actual closer on Agony and Irony. I have not. It's fine, but it's, it's an incredibly def. I, it just makes that record end in a way that feels so eh. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels like all these big detours weren't really anything. It's, it's, you know, I feel like putting this on the end of the record would have been the director's cut move. And I think that would have served it a lot better. And I still, I still think that's among their weakest records for sure. Mm-hmm. But I think the moments where they were really together and on, like, uh, do you want to know being another good example? Like mm-hmm. they, they really found ways to use the studio and use the things that were at their disposal to make really good songs. And, uh, it's just kind of a shame to me that this one is, it feels really lost. You know, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's a song. I don't know how they would play it live, but I would love to see that. I would love to see, this type of material be a route they went into because I think between this and even something like fine closing this addiction, those are very different takes, mm-hmm. very different kinds of songs, but showed a little bit of like excitement and expansion on what they did in ways that still felt natural to me. It didn't feel like alkaline trio, alkaline trio trying to be someone else. It felt like the natural evolution out of who they've been, where they were, and what they were kind of progressing towards. And I feel like there, this is one of those songs that has always been the big question mark for me of like, what if 
they would have tried some shit like this a little more. Not necessarily this exact same subject matter or whatever, but using those instruments, those embellishments, the, the studio production in ways that weren't just like keyboard overlays and like second guitar lines, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I, I, I think they could have done some cool shit with it. What do you rate this one? This one gets a big four and a half out of me. I'm going to go four and a half too. And I honestly wish that I'd listened to it earlier so I could put it in better perspective because there is a part of me that wants to say this is a five out of five. Um, but I don't want to, I don't want to not be able to take that one back. Um, this do you want to know, uh, do you want to know the one moment that keeps it from being a five for me? Yeah. It's the first chorus and it's the only time in the song that I think it stumbles. But in the first chorus, I feel like it starts to do the descent back down into that more quiet open part. Mm-hmm. But they, it feels like Dan just wanted another line in there. So it kind of picks back up and then settles back down. Yeah. O- only exactly out of the first chorus. Yeah. And that part has tripped me up every time. I. It, it's the one big stumbling block for me in this song. Otherwise, I think it's basically perfect. And I've not even addressed my favorite line, which is right at the end when he says the line about, like, I prayed that I was wrong about prayer. And I'm like, man, that's a good one. That's a good one out of you. Yeah. Um, that re- <laughs> that reminds me of the... Um, well, we're on the subject of, of people having uh, songs about drying out. There's a Jason Isbell line on... Uh, relatively easy last song on southeastern where he says is your brother on a church kick seems just like a different kind of dope sick mm-hmm. reminded me very much of that uh yep. as you are a podcast about alkaline trio every week we talk about one alkaline trio song this week it's in my stomach it was in my stomach i mean if you're looking at these lyrics it seems to just be everywhere mm-hmm um, we do this show each week because we like hanging out and spending time talking about you 2 and then the Alkaline Trio. Um, we invite you to come back next week and to tell a friend about the show. Rate and subscribe on your podcast player of choice. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash as you were, where we give people the opportunity to vote on the songs that we talk about, which is exactly what we're going to be doing for next week's episode. We've also got some long form over there and merchandise, which is some custom printed pocket notebooks. Fucking carved that shit out and printed them myself. God damn. And they look great. Either way, we will be back next week and we look forward to it. We'll see you then. Thank you, friends. Yeah.